Hi, this is Jackie Ma, head coach and CEO of Apex Training Gym. Thank you for joining us here on our podcast today as our main focus is on how we can increase your strength, hone your discipline, and improve your prowess on and off the weightlifting platform. It's not about being physically strong, but it's also about being mentally capable and emotionally responsible. As I tell my athletes, be the lion and not the hyena. You got to set chase and get after it before it gets away from you. So let's go. Coach Bergner, Mike Bergner is in the house podcasting with Apex Training. I am so ecstatic. I just, this is huge. I mean, this is like Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Mr. Olympia or something. This is like, <laughs> I have him on the podcast, you guys. Y'all need to be listening on this. You're not, you're missing out. Thank you for joining us here on our seventh episode. We have the one and only Coach Mike Bergner. Hello, welcome, and thank you for joining us here. Oh my gosh, this is so awesome. So we have Coach on here. I actually hooked up with him on Instagram. He came across you in a live stream. I latched on. I'm like, Coach B. And then from there, it just, we got reacquainted as like a reunion. And I said, I said, do you have a book written all this about, you know, he talks about how to fix people like missing their jerks and getting pinned on the clean. And, and it's just, you know what I love about by listening to him, he uses science, people, science, not hokey moke stuff and mismatched socks. I'm not that anything's wrong with it or anything, but I'm telling you, listen to this guy. We have him here, and uh, he's a super busy man. He's, he's like coaching a bunch of people and stuff, so I was able to snatch half an hour from him. Hey, snatch half an hour from him. I made a snatch joke. Anyways, welcome, coach. How you doing? I'm doing great. I don't know if I'm supposed to be looking at the computer or looking at you. Oh, no, look at the computer. Here, I'll put this over here. (laughs) Yes, yes. Oh, my gosh. This is so awesome to have you here. Like, you don't believe. So, here we are. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, you're a legend. And anyone that knows a thing about weightlifting, you're a legend. I'm serious. So, let me shut up my pie hole so you can talk. Not a legend, that's for sure. Unless Go ahead and ask my wife if I'm a legend or not. You went to school at Notre Dame. You you served our country like back in, was it like 1975? Until 75. Yeah, I got out of the Marine Corps in 75. In 75, 10 years of service. Thank you for your years of service. Thank in you. your prime of your life, you know, that's 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 epic. And then you got into weightlifting. Like, how did you end up here? How did you go from Notre Dame, Marines, working man, to building your, your weightlifting icon? Yeah, it's a blessing, basically. I mean, at Notre Dame, I learned how to lift weights for football. You know, from there, I was going to be a football coach. That was my dream. But weightlifting, you know, I had an opportunity to get into coaching and weightlifting and then finally public school teaching and and just uh, started developing programs and teams. And, you know, I was blessed with the training that I had from Father Lang at Notre Dame and Richard Borden, who was at the University of Kentucky and was my coach when I was down there. So got my first opportunity to be a a strength coach at a high school in Southern California, Fallbrook High School, and just started building programs and teams. That was how I got my start, basically. That's incredible. I mean, you've coached some of I mean, your son is an amazing, you were an amazing weightlifter. I was asking for some stats on you and you know, it was 19, was it 70? Yeah. 400 pound push press people. 
Yeah, Olympic pounds. press. It wasn't no, a push press. It was an oh, Olympic, it was Olympic press. press. That's even not, not a military press. Oh, it's not a right. Yeah, back then and in, in those times prior to '72, you had three lifts. You had the clean and press, the snatch, and the clean and jerk. Wow. And I'm sure Bob Takano, your coach, will remember yes. that for sure. Yeah, I'm going to have him on the podcast later on this year. Oh yeah, I've just seen just seeing the movement is just phenomenal. Just the it's just the epitome of like the the moment on a physics. It's like a human crowbar. Yeah, it, well, it's really an athletic movement. Of course, I liked it, and but you know, I got good at the press because Father Lang used to give us incentives. Now, this is back in the '60s, but Father Lang, if you pressed body weight ten times, he'd give you fifty bucks. And this is back in the '60s, and so think about that for a second. Fifty dollars would go a long way back in 1965 and '66. Oh, hey, that's like three hundred bucks nowadays. Oh, it's Jesus! Easily. It was amazing. But that was one of the big, big incentives that we had. All of the, the lifters at Notre Dame, Father Lang would give you fifty bucks if you could hang from the pull-up bar for five minutes. Wow! I don't think anybody got that. Man, talk about the ultimate burn. I forget all the things that he had, but he had various incentives. And of course, all of us guys would try to make them so we could get a little extra cash to to go out on the town on. But uh, yeah, Father Lang was a great incentive, a great coach and great mentor to me. And he basically taught me the fundamentals of being a coach and the fundamentals of lifting and and how to train properly and of course, back then, nutrition wasn't a big deal. You just ate everything you could get. Your, uh, I can attest to that. I was on that nutritional program for a while. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Just think so. how much more we would have lifted now if we knew the things we knew. Uh, oh, gosh. You know, yeah. My gosh, you'd be like pressing 550 pounds. So <laughs> Father Lang, I mean, what was his background interest that fascinated? Like well, Father Lang was a physics instructor at Notre Dame, believe it or not. And then... Oh. Uh, he had he was really into physical culture. So I've got pictures of him in my gym doing the old fashioned bent press. You remember that with the old barbell that had the big bowling balls on the end of it. But he was just a guy that uh, loved physical culture. At one time, he was the fourth strongest man in the United States or actually in the world, as I understand it. I can remember spotting him when he was 80 years old, spotting him with 100 pound dumbbells in his right hand and about 70 pound dumbbells in his left hand because he had a torn bicep or tricep. He would actually bench press these dumbbells, 100 in the right and 70 in the left. And he was wow. balanced, you know, he, he could, he could do it. And he would press them about three or four times. And then he would, we'd take them from him and then he would do his ab work. He'd call it his ab work and he'd do one sit up to get out of the bench and that was his ab work. <laughs> but he was a mentor, man. He was a tough customer. He was one of the hardest guys that I've ever been around, but he was also one of the one of the guys that had more did more for me in my quest of becoming a strength coach than anybody else did besides Richard Borden. And I didn't even know it at that time. You know, of course I was all I cared about was football and lifting. And weightlifting contests, those were the only things I cared about. And Father Lang kind of just pushed me in that direction. And so if it wasn't for him and Richard Board, I probably wouldn't be a strength coach today. And it was, me- it was meant to be. Like yeah, it, exactly. It was not a, a chance meeting, but it was more of just preparing yourself for for present time. You actually started to burn your strength like a couple of years ago. 
Yeah, yeah. You know? Now, burden of strength was CrossFit weightlifting was the big deal back then. And then uh, CrossFit, Greg Glassman wanted to go a different direction with what he calls his SMEs, which were subject matter experts. And so I was under CrossFit weightlifting. And then when we went, when he went away from the subject matter experts, we switched over to Bergner Strength. And my son, Bo, actually earned, owns Bergner Strength. Okay. And so it's the same course. Everything's the same. And we're now what we call a preferred course of CrossFit. It's the same you know, curriculum. The goals and objectives are all the same. But it's just a different name. But it's all the same stuff. So we've had the opportunity to switch over to Bergner Strength and uh, carry on the legacy of Olympic-style weightlifting. Yes. Amen to that. Long live weightlifting for sure. And love the icon. And, you know, we were talking over like with the list when you were, we were, uh, when I was listening on your live, live streaming, your, um, your teaching seminar, and there's some like about half a dozen questions I want to get into. Um, but thank you for that background, the history of, of Father Lang. So I was wondering like, gosh, how do you even get into it? And so you had a really strong mentor, a physics yeah. instructor that was into a human physique. That's, that's that's amazing. That explains a lot in a good way. So getting back and in, getting into the body of our podcast here, which we, it was important to have the background so people know who you are, that you're not just someone that read a bunch of books and watched a bunch of meets, that you actually lived the class one weightlifting. You actually lived it. And I mean, from it, you had like, you know, like I said, your son, Casey, I'm not sure if you coach Natalie too. I, I should know this, but I've been I stepped out of the arena for about 10 years to start my family. But you've coached some amazing greats. I mean, the people that you've coached are running successful gyms on their own. You are part of the OG. And that's why I felt like, man, this is this is great. I got the real 24 karat gold guy on here. Like no, no <laughs> fillers, no fillers. So I want to ask those. So I, I will personally ask you my first question. We're gonna okay. get into questions. So I can, I don't think, I really miss the clean and the clean and jerk, but my jerks, they just suck. I don't know for other type. That was the hardest. I had people coming up to me. He's like, you just gave that lift away, didn't you? And I'm like looking at them like, that's the most preposterous statement to make. And I seemed like I always got behind the bar when I would push. I seemed like I didn't, I didn't have any problems with the men's bar, 20 kilos. But when we switched to the women's bar, 15 kilos, they kind of messed me up. I mean, not not to blame anyone or anything. It just changed the oscillation or what, how I was kind of used to doing with the men's bar. So I, I seemed like I would dip ahead of the bar and I couldn't quite lock out. How do you fix, if someone came to you with a soft jerk, a soft lockout, what, what would you do or recommend? How do you address that? Well, there, you know, it just depends on the individual. But if you've got a soft lockout, there's a lot of things that I like to do, the, you know, to try to correct that. And I mean, just the old fashioned military press to start, you know, using exactly the same grip that you use when you're doing your, uh, your clean and your, and your jerk. You know, it's got to be the same. You can't take a narrower grip on the press and then okay. expect to take a wider grip on the jerk. And I'm more of a wide grip guy anyway on the jerk. But I would be doing presses. I would be doing jerk supports in a in a power rack at that level where maybe six to eight inches off of your max of your height of the jerk. I'd have you split underneath that bar and then lock it out and then stand up with it making sure those elbows are really locked out tight and then recovering from that position. 
getting you strong there and starting out with a very lighter lightweight and then eventually getting up to a heavy weight where you're going to be doing if you get that joint strong enough you're going to get the, to be doing 20 30 40 kilos more than you can actually jerk that's another issue of uh, the speed of the elbows could possibly be a reason so we really have to take a look at you know why why are you having that soft jerk and then attack it from there you know there's there could be a 15 or 20 different things that could cause that and it's up to the coach just to find out what's going to resonate with you to make you have those fast elbows and that strong lockout. So, so we know that we know we need a strong lockout, but it also could be because my leg drive is not sufficient. It could also mean that my elbows are not moving fast enough. So there's a lot of different things that we have to look at in order to address and attack the deficiency. Okay. I will keep that in mind. Probably I won't be able to do that until three more months out of my rotator cuff surgery, but that's something you know, I can clean 110, but my best jerk was like 100, you know? Yeah, that's a mortal sin. I know. You can't do that. <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> and, and you got to be able to jerk what you clean, girl. I know, man. I've gotten so many. I can see people that are listening on the podcast shaking their heads. Yeah, that Jackie Ma. Well, so, you know, it's interesting because that a lot of a lot of those problems, believe it or not, come from improper breathing. I mean, I've got a lot of athletes that come to me and, you know, they'll start jerking and they same thing. They can't figure out why they're missing their jerks, but I'll get them to breathe and brace and then dip. Okay. And it, it almost automatically takes care of the problem. I think that was my problem is because when I dip, I almost felt like part of my torso collapsed or something. Yeah, well, that's that is exactly what happens. So a lot of athletes will, you know, clean the weight and they'll get all set and then they'll suck in air as they're dipping that just didn't make for a real strong core in my opinion. So what I got my athletes to learn to do is, is, you know, they'd get their bar, their hands adjusted, they'd do all this stuff and then they'd take a deep breath and then they would brace that core and then they would dip. So it'd be breathe, brace, dip like that. And then of course, making sure that you dip straight and drive straight is critical on that. Okay. And then you just don't let that air out until you've actually recovered and the referee gives you the down signal. I think that in retrospect, now that you mentioned this, I, I know time more time again, I thought, think that doing an extra breath might help. I think that kind of just messed up my temple or whatever. Yeah, seriously. So for, all the, for all the youngsters out there in your 20s and 30s, you listen closely to, to Coach B, okay? Because don't, don't, don't pull 110 and only make 100. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're consistent, see, the, the dipping and breathing at the same time is never consistent. But the breathing and bracing and then dipping yeah. is always consistent. I've I remember you that. saying that on the yeah. last on the your your stream I gave for yesterday. It's, it's I remember saying that uh, breath and brace, breath and brace. You right. know, so I'm like, oh, I just keep it short. You know, I think sometimes this more is less. You know, I, yeah, I say exactly. too much, and I like how you keep it really succinct, this short phrases. Yeah. So on that note, I bring up the point. So on the opposite spectrum, when people that are they can front squat a house, but I can't understand why how they get pinned in the clean. I see that bars crashing on them, and they're trying to front squat from a deep, a deep squat position, and I'm like, oh, this is not going to be pretty. Yeah, so that's a the problem because they don't front squat deep enough. I mean, for me, the standard of front squat is you know the hip below the knee. That's that's what the standard is, and you, you'll accept a 
hip below the knee front squat is being legit. But the bottom line is, is that when you get buried in a clean, where are you? Your butt's about an inch from the ground is what the problem is, but we don't squat down there. So we don't get used to doing that. So consequently, you end up having to bouncing two or three times out of a hole. And then maybe, maybe you'll be able to get up. So my lifters, you know, we, we could always get our lifters to come out of the hole because we squatted butt to the ground. You know, that was the, that was the name of the game. And then, you know, we did, we also did a lot of isometric squats and uh, eccentric squats. You know, if I had a lifter that had, you know, longer femurs and maybe weaker legs, we would do a ton of isometric squats and eccentric squats as well to get those legs as strong as they could possibly become. But we would also go lower than standard. So if in fact they did get caught at the bottom, they would have more success or more of an opportunity for six to get out of the hole. Yeah, it's kind of really difficult when you have your long-legged people. The the anthropology yeah. in that is very challenging. Although, like Bob, I think of people like Bob Benarski, who was like six two or whatever. Yeah. Of course, he's a splitter too, but that's a whole different story. Yeah. With the cleans, so once you rise up and you do the jerk, and those are probably the two things I find that what I've seen a lot of missed missed uh, lifts on the clean and jerk. Either they get pinned or they have an elbow touch, and it's just I think that's just tied into like just not receiving the bar very well at the bottom. And yeah. so though that's a great idea, like working on uh, heavy isometrics and eccentric. Uh, what are your thoughts on like doing like super squats or chains on the, I see people like put chains on the barbell. Have you guys done that? Or what's your take on that? Yeah, I've done them, you know, and, and again, there's a thousand ways to skin a cat, right? And every athlete is different. My bottom line is I'd rather not use chains or bands or anything like that, but I'm certainly not afraid to, if I've got, if I've got to attack a leg problem that all the other things aren't working, then I, as a coach, I got to continue to look for that thing that's going to make that athlete stronger. And so certainly chains and bands and stuff like that are available for me to try. And if it helps the athlete, then that's all that, that's all that matters. Okay. So one last question about since we're on this topic about squats and such, I've seen this happen like when, you know, I have like teammates that are recovering from an injury or whatever, like usually like a rotator cuff or some other type of thing. I always hear this about, I'm going on the Russian squat cycle for six weeks. I'm going on the Russian squat cycle for six weeks. I'm like, that's like 85% for, I'm not really kind of well read on this Russian. I mean, what's your take on it? I mean, it doesn't seem like it's paradisation. Is it just meeted and blasted? It doesn't seem like it would work well for master lifters or something. I mean, yeah, I, you know what, honestly, you know, how many ways are there to do squat programs? You know, you got the, the, you know, the Gale Hatch method, you've got the, the old CSC, three sets of 10, four sets of eight, five sets of six. They're all out there. You know, for me, quite frankly, the best program that I think that worked for my athletes was the old 10 sets of three. You know, you take, 10, 12 weeks of a program and you start out with 10 sets of three at about 65% and then you progressively overload and until you work it up. And I've never had an, an athlete not do well on that program. But, you know, again, it's just, I hate to beat a dead horse, but there's a thousand ways to skin a cat and you've got to figure out the one that's going to work best for you. And for me and my athletes, Casey Bergner established very strong legs doing 10 sets of three, but we used to do crazy things like the 20 rep squat program. I mean, I've I seen people do that. that I'm all like, that's like a burn your quadriceps. Off oh my God. That was thing. evil. You know, I was and, uh, like, well, who came up with this? 
who knows? But I did it because, you know, back then when you're doing this stuff, you'd try anything if it's going to make going to make you stronger. But we also found that if I did 20 sets of a set of 20 to failure like that, you were dead for the next four or five days. You know, so you got to you know, the bottom line is you got to be able to you got to build your body up to squat and then you got to be able to recover so you can do the other work that you got to do. That's true. It's that that cost benefit. You can do it, yeah. but what's it going to cost you? I mean, if it's going to exactly. put you behind your like exactly. your your meso cycle. And it depends on where you are in the cycle, right? If you're 20 weeks out from a national championship, you can certainly do stuff like that. But if you're doing stuff like that and you're five weeks out from a national championship, then it's probably not not a very smart idea. No, I totally agree with you. Is there anything that I you may I've not asked? And in terms of the clean and jerk, I mean. Like those are my two things that I've seen a lot of lifters miss are basically what we talked about, just the pin clean and just elbow touch and soft jerk. I mean, is there yeah, something I, for me, the footwork on the jerk is what's critical. You know, I have, I have a, when I analyze jerks, I, I use five points of performance when I teach it. Okay. And when a person's in the split position, I look for the first point of performance is that front foot. First of all, I mark the feet. You know, I mark the feet according to that that person's somotyping, basically. And then I go from there. But basically, the five points of performance for me is on that front foot. It's got to be out far enough, and the weight's got to be distributed on the midfoot back to the heel. The second point of performance is the shin has got to be perpendicular to the bar or to the body, to the ground. Okay. And then the third point of performance is that the torso – we want that torso to be parallel to the shin. We want it to be as vertical as it possibly can be. The fourth point of performance is the back knee needs to be slightly bent to bring that quad closer to the hip for more support. Uh, yes. And then the fifth point of performance is the weight needs to be on the ball of the foot pushing forward. So if my feet are straight or slightly in, I've kind of wedged my body underneath that bar. And then, of course, the bar is in that frontal plane over my head and it's kind of right underneath the torso and it's just kind of sitting there and my whole body is supporting it. So if my knee is too far forward, then I'm going to create a pelvic tilt and all that pressure is going to be put on my lower back, you know, and that forces my back leg to be straight and there's just no way to support that bar. So in my coaching, I say, if the knee is too far forward, where the shin isn't perpendicular, what I'll say is knee back. So while they're in that split position and and we're working on light weight to get that split squared away, I'll say knee back. And that brings the shin back perpendicular Uh, to the ground. And then if the knee's too straight in the back leg, I'll say knee bent that will rotate that hip up underneath the bar that will bring that quad closer to that area for support. I like how you talk, like not that, even if, if you didn't like how it, I mean, just as I'm thinking as a physical therapist, it's like pelvic tilt, anterior tilt, right. engaging the, the legs. Right. Who is that one guy that in Squat University, uh, Aaron Horsham, oh, yeah. he talks about the butt wink. I don't know what that was until you explained it. But yeah. when you go into posterior tilt, you lose a lot of power in your legs. Yeah. Just like you, that makes total sense how you keep that neutral pelvis right there so you can engage your legs. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. It's like being in my kinesis class back at, U- at USC. Mm. So the five points of performance. Yeah, they're good. <laughs> well, it's just I'm real simple. You know, simple is 
very important for me. I mean, I taught high school for 32 years, right? And so it's an amazing story. I had one of my first experiences teaching my PE class was with a group of kids that were, you know, 15, 16, 17 years of age. And and I'm talking about, we got to get complete extension, ankles, knees, and hips. And and I look at out of my classroom oh, and the eyeballs were as big as silver dollars, right? And they didn't understand what you were talking about. They had about. no clue. And, and at the end of the class, this young lady, 15 years old, comes up to me and, coach, you're confusing us. And, and she's a big physics girl, right? And so she's oh, okay. very, very smart. She says, you coach, you're you're confusing. Why don't you just say jump? <laughs> and that was about 50 years ago, right? <laughs> and I'm going, oh my God. So that was it. That class, those kids taught me how to teach. I mean, and it was like I was getting way ahead of myself and and trying to sound cool, ankle, knee, and hip extension. And and these kids had no clue what the heck was going on. And so when she told me to jump, you know, it was like, okay, that's what we did. That's, you know? that's, so we that's never true. taught the double knee bend. I never said anything about scoop or the double knee bend or the transition. We would just say jump. And I, why? Because it was simple and the kids could jump. Now we had to teach them not to jump high. We didn't want them to come floating off the ground. No. So, but we would teach them to jump hard against the ground, you know, and be to aggressive get that with force the reaction. That was it exactly. And and if it wasn't for that class and that young lady coming up to me, who in the hell knows? I'd try to be, uh, you know, somebody I'm not. And so keeping it simple for me became very critical in my teaching of and coaching of high school kids. And even to this day, I, I mean, that's you, so you know, true. I mean, you don't I have to be you don't have to be complicated to get this get your stuff done. I find the more more I try to explain to the brain, they're already like trying to figure it out. Yeah, I, I lose them, and yeah. it becomes a frustrating session. Yeah. yeah, I think there's like five six things, especially with the compound movements of this net. It's not like doing a bicep curl or a, yeah. you know, a bench. I mean, I'm no offense to anybody, anybody or anything, but it's just the central nervous system. There's everything involved, and it's it's. It can be really overwhelming to someone that just wants to just learn how to power clean for a better to be better off the blocks or well think about this too, because I'm I'm a visual learner. So, you know, the same kid came up to me and you know, and I, I kept talking about how we create acceleration and elevation on the barbell through our legs and our feet off the ground. And she came up to me and she brought a jump rope. And then this jump rope, she had the jump rope, and then she had a five kilo plate attached to the jump rope. And so she said to me, she says, okay, coach, you're talking about your arms are like ropes. And she says, is this what you're talking about? So she takes that jump rope and she says, when you jump hard, coach, you go, you dip first, right? And I said, yes, that's what you're doing. That's the transition. She says, then what happens when you jump? And then that weight goes up and becomes weightless, right? So you're you're jumping hard against the ground, but you're creating a weightlessness on the barbell, right? right? And then the, the whole concept of teaching your body to get under the bar after you create the acceleration on the barbell becomes, I, in my mind, for them, the kids saw that visually and they got that aha moment, so to speak. Oh you know? my gosh. Because everybody wants, I mean, to create that velocity on the barbell, I mean, we can think about it, but to have that shown where the, I yes. load, that's going down on the dip, that was it. 
I'm a visual learner. I'm not a I'm not a guy that an auditory guy. You can't tell me this, 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 and this, but you can show me what you need me to do, and then I then I can pretty much get it done. You know, you got to understand your clients. You got to know that okay, if I've got 15, 16, and 17 year olds that don't have the big science background, but they understand the visual nature of what I want them to do, then they're going to have an easier time to be successful than if I try to explain to them the science behind it. You're, you're able to uh, captivate and hold your audience. They say, and once you lose your audience, the, the interview's over. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. So thank you. That's like really some deep, that's some media information right there. Seriously. So now we're going to get on to my, my least favorite lift the snatch. <laughs> 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 just remember Jackie. I, I don't want to I know it's not about me right now it's about you coach but <laughs> you melt the snatches but you win with the clean and jerk yes I gotta say thank goodness for a strong clean exactly I made 90 percent of my my jerks so with the snatches man I don't know what it is but it requires so much finesse oh yeah I've seen some people just are just mad dog strong <laughs> like you're like barely like snatch your body weight i'm looking at them like what's wrong with you you can't say that yeah, yeah. they seem very coordinated it's a concept too i mean what were we just talking about if, if if i came to your gym and i had somebody demonstrate a snatch to a neophyte somebody that didn't know what the snatch was and i said to them okay explain to me what you just saw that person would probably say well she just pulled the bar over her head and squatted underneath it. That's the bottom line. You know, that's what she saw. So you've got to be able to explain to them that the snatch is another, nothing more than jumping a barbell through a range of motion to create that acceleration and that elevation on the barbell. And when the barbell is going up, then and only then do you bend your arms to pull yourself underneath it. And then as my feet, as I get my generation of power from the ground, then as my feet slide out, that power source changes to the bar because I can't, I cannot pull a barbell up if my feet are off the ground. Amen. So what happens is, is that that slingshots me underneath the bar. Now I've got to, I've got to figure out all kinds of drills to make them understand that you're pulling your body around a bar and then you're punching your body into that overhead squat. And right. that's why I don't like the word catch. I like the word that oh, I receive it. I go to the yes. hole and then receive the bar. Yes, because you try to catch the bar. What ends up happening too is soft. like the timing's off. It causes elbow bend. Yep. It's and too it's soft. Not- it's aggressive. It's, uh, you've got to be a freaking junkyard dog if you're going to be snatching. I'm telling you. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a terrifying movement for some people unless they know how to do it the right way. And if they're, if they're doing an a inadequate extension or finish and it's not – behind the bar, then there's a good chance they're going to hit themselves in the head. So consequently, what they end up doing intuitively, they know that their face is in the way. So what do they do? They swing the bar outside the least line of resistance. Yes. Right. And so that puts a lot of different torque on the bar that when it's lightweight, you're going to be able to do it. But when it's heavyweight, if you don't keep that bar in the least line of resistance, you're not going to be successful with it. No, I see people like they like almost like duck and extend forward on it. I know I'm a terrible, I think I was no more from a duck walking than anything else, but it's that <laughs> short second pull. I don't know what it is. Yeah. 
Now you got to get tall before you get small, and you know, and it's oh, like get, if, I love that. My if gosh. I don't get up there where I'm supposed to be, even with the light weight, if I don't, if I don't get to that extension where I need to be, then I need to practice. I need to practice that extension, and then just keep keep plugging away one one kilo at a time. You know, as long as the extension is good, I can keep going up. You know, but I just the other thing too is is my kids in my PE classes never snatched a barbell for 18 weeks because we did drills and skills and you know we worked the burden of warm up and the skill transfer exercises and we did PVC pipe training and my big deal was we're going to do body weight exercises before barbell exercises and so PVC pipe was considered body weight exercises so we would learn the patterns of the movements before I would turn them loose and, wow. and actually let them let them do a, a snatches and clean and jerks. 18 weeks. Yeah. You, that's and we would do muscle snatches and stuff like that, but we did snatch balances and drop snatches and those kind of things. But as, as far as doing a full-fledged snatch, nah, wouldn't let them. 18 weeks. Thank you for joining us here on our seventh podcast episode with Mike Bergner, the coach, head coach, and CEO of Bergner Strength. Hope that this episode was very helpful and helping you to fix some of those ongoing flaws that maybe some of your teammates have, your athletes. And I just want to say that it may take thousands of reps, literally, for that change to occur. But keep at it. Know that PR is waiting for you around the corner. And just kind of keep at it and know that weightlifting is suitable for everyone, no matter what your body type is. You heard him talking about different anthropological lengths and widths and such of your body type. So it works for you. It has no prejudice against anyone. So come and join us, grab a barbell. There are many clubs that you can find through the USAW. So let me know if you have any questions. This is Jackie, my apex training. Thank you again for joining us here with Mike Bergner on our seventh podcast. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast presented to you by apex training gym, where our goal is to provide you with workable ideas and sound training concepts to give you the optimal leverage you need to move anything in the gym and in your life. Because when you change your mind, you change your life.